Jesus is here. He's talking in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he's just challenged us to lay up treasures in heaven, uh, not to orient our lives around money. And then he picks up with verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, or what shall happen after Brexit? <laughs> oh, sorry, I, I was uh, getting carried away there. Just wanted to make sure you were paying attention. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And then to James chapter 2. We pick up with verse 14 down to the end. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but not, does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Well, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. I'm not sure I've ever met a child at some point in time that hasn't played doctor as a kid. I mean, I, I think uh, I probably, I, I remember having a, a plastic medical kit, you know, being able to 
to listen to somebody's heartbeat, to try to pick up, okay, is, is, there, is, is the person alive? You know, we, we would go and we'd do pretend surgery. Uh, mostly I'd want to do that on my sister, who was younger than me. Uh, but my mom wouldn't let me have the real knives, so I had to use the plastic ones uh, and, and all this. And I just love to see the kids now even playing around with that and having a good time, having fun, uh, just playing together, playing, playing doctor and, and uh, uh, just discovering that. And, of course, you have the games, you know, Operation. I don't know if you ever played that game. Uh, and those things were kind of fun. And, and what I really find a lot of fun with children is when they kind of dress up and start to act like adults. I mean, it's absolutely hilarious to me uh, when a child, you know, maybe put on one of those white coats and, you know, gets a, a deep voice, you know, and says, Hi, Mom, uh, I'm your doctor, you know, and you just want to laugh at that. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to see that and see the children uh, acting like grown-ups and playing like grown-ups. But, you know, when I see that, I also realize that no child can keep that up for long. There comes a point in time where every child is found out, where you discover, you see very clearly, of course we're not fooled at all, uh, but, but eventually the child you know, casts off the, the medical coat and runs outside to play in the mud. Or more, more often, they don't cast out the med- off the medical coat, but they still run outside and play in the mud. You know, eventually it comes out that the child is merely acting like a, a child who's acting like an adult. It's not real. And, and nobody would allow their child actually to do actual surgery on them. I mean, none of us would be so foolish as to do that. And even as we grow up, I mean, even as we get older... If we're going to go into medicine, for example, we have to have our training. Uh, doctors often will practice on one another. I, I, I hear, I'm not sure if it's the case, but I hear that phlebotomists, the you know, guys that draw blood, that they often practice on one another. That's another reason not to be a phlebotomist in my book. Uh, I don't like it when they practice on me, and I'd hate to practice on somebody else. But you, you want those doctors working together. You want them practicing together. You want them working hard to hone their craft, but nobody believes that the person in medical school is actually yet a doctor, a GP, a medical doctor. You can tell when they're playing, when they're practicing, and they'll even have a season of working together with other seasoned medical practitioners so that they can learn how to hone their craft. The problem so often with the church today, not necessarily this church, because you all are great, but the problem with the church today is so often people in church actually come down to one of those two categories. Many of the people that are in the body of Christ today, many of the people that are in pews around London today worshiping the Lord are pretending to be something that they're not. A lot of people play at being a Christian. They play at their Christianity, and eventually it comes out, because you can only play at it for so long. Oh, you might have given your life to Jesus Christ. You might have made uh, a commitment to Christ when you were a young person, but it's never really gone beyond the 
putting on the, the lab coat and pretending to be a doctor kind of phase. But the problem with often with little children, if you get to know them and you understand them when they're dressing up, is that sometimes they actually think that they're adults when they're not. Sometimes they actually think that they can do more than they actually can. And eventually, the playing, the play acting, comes to the front. Eventually, it's revealed. Or a similar problem is that a lot of times, Christians, as they, as they come and they engage in the body of Christ, it's a bit like going to medical school and sitting through all the lectures but never practicing medicine with one another, never learning how actually to be a medical practitioner, and certainly never stepping out and actually practicing medicine. And there's a lot of times when, when I've seen Christians go uh, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and they take in, and they take in, and they take in, and they receive training after training after training, but they never step forward and actually apply what they've been learning. And many times you can see these Christians because oftentimes these are the Christians, one, who don't do much ministry, but two, who often come to a point in time where, where they begin to think, well, maybe what the church is for is actually to please me, to train me, to give me all this input, but I don't really need to do anything about it. And so when, when uh, the, the input stops in, entertaining them, or when somebody next to them says something that, that's a bit of, that, that they take the wrong way and becomes a bit offensive, or maybe they take it the right way and it's still offensive, you know, then they easily walk away. And they step forward from that. You know, when I became a Christian, I became a Christian on a message where a guy was talking about uh, American money. You might see that sounds kind of strange. But he took the different coins from uh, a copper penny all the way up to a silver, genuine silver dollar. And he asked, are you like this copper penny? Are you like a 1% Christian? Or are you more like a a nickel, which is 5 cents? Are you a 5% Christian? or a dime, a 10% Christian, or a quarter, a 25% Christian, or a 50% Christian, or actually, are you a real Christian? Genuine, 100%. And the Lord worked through that message and touched my heart and touched my life. And this is the fundamental question, actually, that we have to ask ourselves. Because it's wrong to ask this question of somebody else. It's not my job to look at, at someone and say, are you just playing at being a Christian, like the child putting on the medical coat, or are you one of those who are the eternal student always going to medical school? Are you actually somebody that is living your life as a follower of Jesus Christ? What are you? Where are you? How are you living? And how do we know? The Christian is somebody who is living by faith. And we've been talking about this whole issue of faith and that our definition of Christian faith is choosing to trust and to act. Notice it's trusting and acting often beyond our natural ability based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways founded in relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Christian faith. It's not some kind of empty believism. It's not some kind of positive thinking. It is somebody who trusts God and who acts on the basis of that trust based on a true knowledge of who God really is and what God really does. I mean, the problem is that many times the the Christian that's play-acting, like the little child in the lab coat, or the Christian that is the eternal student doesn't really know God. They think they know God. They know about God, but they don't really know God. Like, I know quite a bit about medicine. And one of the big problems that, that my, my GP tends to frown on is when I take it upon myself to, to go onto the Internet and do all this research and learn how the doctor should be doing his job. He loves that. You know, he says, Rod, please do that some more. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Because he knows I'm just play acting. I'm not going on a true knowledge. I haven't put in my effort to get the real knowledge so that I can behave in light of that real knowledge. But Christians living by faith are doing that. They live in that way, and if you're not living in that way, if you're not going on a true knowledge of God and God's ways, then you're not living by Christian faith. There are a lot of people that have faith in a false God that they've created in their own minds. It goes by the name of Jesus, but it has no real resemblance to the Jesus of the Scripture. So our challenge is to examine ourselves and say, am I the child play-acting Or am I the eternal student? Or am I a genuine follower of Jesus Christ? Living by faith. And how do I know? The text today gives gives us a couple of big insights. Jesus is here. He's talking in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says the things, you know, don't be anxious about what you're going to wear or about what you're going to eat. Or, you know, I said Brexit, but... I think if Jesus was standing here today, he'd say the same thing. Don't be anxious about what's going to happen after Brexit. Don't be anxious about what's going to happen in the global economy. Don't be anxious about what's going to happen with North Korea. Don't be anxious about Venezuela. Don't be anxious about these things. Because God is in control and he knows what the world needs. He knows what is best. So choose to trust. Notice our definition of faith. Choose to trust. Oh, you know, you can't get anything by being anxious about your life, oh, you little faith. The problem is, many people who play-act Christianity, you know, they're fine being Christians until it makes a demand on their life. I mean, it's nice to go to church, and you can see this often in the United States where you have American football. It's not real football. Uh, hardly ever touches a person's foot, but, uh, you know, that's what they call it. So it, it, Americans are kind of crazy that way, so we'll, we'll let them have it. You know, they're, they're in their own little bubble, you know, so we just let them, let them fall, flow with that delusion that it's football. Uh, but, okay, the American football thing, you know, the problem is most of the games are on Sundays. And so you can often see a guy in, in wrestling with his choices, what happens if his favorite team's game starts before church is over? And a lot of times these guys are the ones that want to slip out the back or, or something like that to go see the game. And what you see with that, it gives you a glimpse. Are, are you going after your own stuff? Are you living after your own life? That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking to people 
who are looking after themselves, who are looking after their own wants, their own perception of needs, who are really worried about themselves, and who have centered their lives on themselves. See, the issue with young children, and it sometimes baffles adults, but the issue with young children is that young children are profoundly self-centered. It's part of the growing up process, and one of the things we do as adults is to make them profoundly unself-centered. But that's a profoundly difficult job. It takes a lot of years to bring that about. It doesn't happen instantaneously. But there are a lot of Christians who live in a profoundly self-centered way, looking after their own life, their own direction, their own future, their own preferences, their own issues. And you can tell that by how they allocate their time, how they allocate their energy, how their life is oriented. They orient their lives toward themselves and they become like the people that Jesus is talking to who effectively are living in their anxiety. They're living worried about what's going to happen to their lives instead of choosing to trust. Well, then what, according to Jesus, is the way out of that? He says it very clearly. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. You see, the issue is God's not against us having good jobs. God's not against us having healthy families. God's not against us having a good house or a car or a bank account or a life or friends. God created food. He created the idea of eating. I'm always thankful to him for that. He created things like cherry pie, going to go to Hungary this week. He created Hungarian sausages, or gave, it, gave us the ability to create Hungarian, and they, they make some nice sausages there. I mean, all this stuff is, is from God. It's God's idea. Satan didn't create this stuff. It's too good. Right? And so God's not opposed to it. In fact, God promises that he will provide for us in these areas. But he says we have to move out of that profoundly self-centered, kid-oriented, throwing on our lab coat, pretending to be doctors approach, and instead seek first the kingdom of God. Now by seek first, he means we need to make the kingdom of God our first priority. This is not a second order issue. This is not, oh God, let me take care of my family, let me take care of my job, let me take care of the other issues of my life, and then I will go and do the stuff you want me to do. Then I will live my life. Then I will orient myself toward you. He says, no, orient yourself toward me first. This is a first priority. And the first priority involves something that God calls the kingdom of God. What is this? The kingdom of God is God's loving rulership. When Jesus came, he said, hey, the kingdom of God is here. And what he meant, it's here in him. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. Again, there's the faith word. Believe the good news. Now what did Jesus do? He proclaimed God's favor and he healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. He shared the good news. This was the orientation of his life. This was the kingdom of God embodied in Jesus. And we all become participants in the kingdom of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When we become Christians, we are transferred into the loving rulership of our Heavenly Father 
And then we are called as a first priority to see this loving rulership extend everywhere in our world. Everywhere in our world. When you're at work, you want to see the kingdom of God. When you're walking the streets, you want to see the rulership of God. When you're on the bus, on the tube, you want to see the rulership of God. We had a number of people go out this week and they were riding on the tubes and they were praying and they were looking for the rulership of God. We have city pastors that go out on the street on Thursday nights and Friday nights and they walk the streets till early hours in the morning to help people to see the kingdom of God go forth. When you're discipling your children, you're looking to disciple them into the rulership of God in their lives. And when our children go to school, we want to see them take the kingdom of God there. Everywhere we go, we want to see this manifestation of the kingdom of God as our first priority. That's what Jesus meant when he says, seek it. He means pursue it, go after it, make it a priority. Don't stop until it's manifested. means if you're praying for a sick person, don't just pray for them. And if they don't get healed, just quit. Unless God tells you to, you keep praying and keep praying and keep praying until either they get well or they die. And hopefully they'll get well. You just keep going. It means if you have a friend who doesn't know Jesus, you don't just share Jesus with them one time. You give many opportunities to share the good news about Jesus Christ with your friend. Not in a preachy, overbearing way, but you keep on sharing until something happens. So you have to pursue the kingdom of God as a first priority, and but not only the kingdom of God, pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is righteousness? It is right relationship. That's what it's all about. It's a healthy, whole relationship, first with God, but also with other people. Do you know you cannot pursue the kingdom of God alone? And this is what Jesus is saying. There's no such thing as somebody who goes out there and says, oh, I'm going after the kingdom of God with my life and I don't need anybody else. You have to have other people. If you are not living in relationship, you are by definition not righteous. Because righteousness requires relationship with God and with other people. And God's righteousness is a social righteousness. It's not a personal righteousness. And we have to pursue that. We have to pursue that. And Jesus says that is an act of faith. This pursuing this. And how do we do that? We do that in the power of the Spirit. We do that because we've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus... If you're not someone who's just pretending to be a Christian, you go after the kingdom of God. You go after the kingdom of God. That's your first pursuit. And if it's not your first pursuit, you're not living by faith. If you're not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you're not living by faith. And conversely, you cannot expect that all these other things are going to be added to you as well. So that tells us a little bit about how not to be those children pretending. But what about those people practicing? And there's a lot. This is probably even greater sometimes in some churches than 
people pretending to be Christians who are not really Christians or not really living the life. You know, what about these, these other people, these eternal students? Well, that's what James is speaking into. And notice now, James here, he is not saying, like Luther understood this, and Martin Luther didn't like the book of James for this reason. Because James says, well, you're justified by works as well as faith. Now, let's say what James was not saying here. He was not saying that works will get you into heaven. He's not saying that at all. He's not saying that good works get you brownie points with God. He's not saying that at all. He's not saying what the Mormons say. The Mormons say that by the death of Christ and our good works, we get into heaven. That's Mormonism. That's not biblical Christianity. He's not saying that. He's not saying that we're, we're justified in any way outside the cross. He's not saying that we're saved in any other way than by grace through faith. We need to remember James's audience was mature Christians, the Jewish Christians in particular, but they were mature Christians. James was not writing as in many cases maybe Paul was uh, to the church generally. He's writing to people that he knew were followers of Jesus and who knew the stuff and had the foundational relationship with Jesus Christ. That's his audience. And in that context then, James is saying, if you really say you have faith, if you really think that you're a doctor, in our example, then prove it by doing some surgery. And if you're not proving the fact that you're a doctor by showing your degree, your certificate, by having practice on, on people and practice with an experienced person and then go out there and you're practicing medicine yourself, if you're not actually practicing medicine with a license, then you can tell yourself a doctor, but you're not a doctor. It's a bit like I could spend all day saying that I'm the Queen of England and it doesn't make me the Queen of England. Or I could say that, hey, you know, Good to meet you. My name is Chuck. Uh, that's Prince Chuck to you. Doesn't make me Prince Charles. Saying that I'm William, the fact that my... Okay, here, here's my hairline is going backwards here. I'm putting it back. That doesn't make me William. You understand? What James is saying here is what makes you a Christian, what shows the world you're a Christian is the fact that you're actually doing something about it. It's not that you come in and you sit in a pew on Sunday or you come to a Sunday focus or you're learning material or you're going to Bible college or anything like that. It's the fact that you're out there and when you go to work on Monday morning, you're living for Jesus in the workplace. And when you have an opportunity, you're going to do things that are good, that are honoring to God. Even if you're not explicit about it, even if you're not preaching about it, you're going to live a life that's consistent with the practice of Christianity. And if you're not living a life consistent with the practice of Christianity, then your faith that you claim to have is nothing. It's dead. It's worthless. It's meaningless. There are a lot of people who claim to have this Christian faith we're talking about, but they don't because there's no evidence in their lives that they're living by faith. Challenging question that was often asked to us when we were teenagers was, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? 
And if there's not enough public evidence to convict you for being a Christian, then James is saying here, are you really a Christian? Can you really say that you've graduated? Can you really say that you're any more than a student? I've known a lot of guys and and women who have gone to seminary over the years, and I don't think they know Jesus from a turnip. Certainly don't seem to have any more relationship with him than they do with a turnip. They don't know much more about him. I've seen this time after time. I've seen a lot of people who claim to be a Christian who do lots of Christian stuff. I remember a guy I was preaching one day. This guy had not missed a Sunday of church for more than 60 years. That's six zero years. And the day I was preaching about hell, he finally realized his need for salvation in Jesus. After 60 years, without missing a Sunday, when he went on holiday, they'd always be in church on a Sunday. And he committed his life to Jesus Christ that day. And so James is telling us, you know, don't claim to be a doctor. Don't claim to be a Christian unless there's real evidence in your life supporting the claim. You can claim you have faith, but if you have faith but there's no evidence, there's no works, there's no practice of living as a Christian, then your faith is dead. Now, as the body of Christ, our role here together really is to be trained together to live out our faith, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness on a daily basis. And part of what we do when we gather together in the church is we learn, and we learn not only from people like me talking, but we also learn from one another. We also pray and minister to one another. That's like practicing on each other. And sometimes we have somebody wanders in who really needs surgery, and uh, we gather together and say, okay, well, come on, we're going we're gonna to pray for you. We're going to do this spiritual surgery of sorts on you. And we do that, and God shows up, and he ministers to them, and we recruit more people into this whole thing. But we have to remember that living by faith requires we live by faith every single day. Living by faith, walking by faith, requires that we seek first, as first priority in our lives, the manifestation of God's kingdom and also God's righteousness. Living by faith, walking by faith, means that we are determined every day to do the stuff that Christians do, which is the stuff that Jesus did, to show the world that we really love Jesus and we're really Christ followers. And the really good news is that we don't do any of this in our own strength. We can do the stuff that Jesus did. We live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We do all of this first because Jesus died on the cross for us. He canceled the power of sin in our lives. He canceled the power of the world and the devil in our lives. And when we turn to him by faith, by the grace of God empowering us to do this, we turn to him by faith, the works of the the world, the flesh, and the devil are canceled in our lives, and this enables us to walk by faith every single day. 
And the amazing thing is that Jesus, even after he did this, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And he gave us the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, who empowers us to live in this way. He fills us up and enables us to live by faith, to walk by faith, to do the things that Jesus did, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But it requires that we surrender to him. And it requires that we say to him, Jesus, I don't want to be a little child pretending to be a Christian. I want to be a genuine Christian, a genuine little Christ. And Jesus, I don't just want to be an eternal student learning about you. I want to be somebody who lives like you and brings glory to you every single day of my life. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for the love that you've lavished on us in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and move in our hearts and our minds in this time just to show us, Father, if we've been living like little children pretending to be little Christs, but not really. Show us that, Lord, so that we might repent, so that we might grow in faith and become like Jesus in every way. And Father, show us if we've been the eternal students who have expected everything to be brought to us to learn how to do stuff but never really do stuff for your glory. Show us if we've been that way, Lord, so that we might repent and be filled with your Spirit. And I pray, Father, for each of us this week that every single day you would show us how to walk by faith, seek first your kingdom and, and your righteousness, and then show our faith by the works, the good works that we do in the workplace, in our homes, in the streets, wherever we are. Empower us for this by your grace and for your glory. We pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.